Hello, and welcome to this podcast. In case this is the first one that you're listening to, I'm going to give you a short introduction. My name is Cindy Pierce, and a couple of years ago, I started a home Bible study about the women of the Bible. Each week was about one or two women, and I would read their story straight out of the Bible and interject some thoughts and facts about the story. Then after the reading, I would recap the story, talk about the woman and some of her characteristics and how it could apply to us today. I really enjoyed doing the study, and I was so excited about them that soon other women that I worked with wanted to participate. Before I knew it, I not only had the home Bible study, but I was also doing three different lunchtime Bible studies at different offices. So with the encouragement of some of those ladies, I'm going to put these lessons on this podcast. I'm using the same format. I'll read the story straight out of the Bible with some thoughts. I use the New American Standard Version simply because that's what I grew up reading. Then I recap and talk a little bit about the story, and at the very end, I'll give a little reminder from the lesson on something that we can praise God for, something to thank Him for, something for us to confess, and something to ask from God. One of the things that I loved about this process is that God's Word says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So I believe that as you listen or study along with me, that God will speak to your heart, and I hope you will enjoy this as much as I have. This is the ninth lesson in the series, so you can go back and listen to the other ones um, on my podcast, Um, and today's lesson is on Bathsheba, Bathsheba. Um, So this story is um, in the middle of um, David's story in the book in the Bible, called 1 Samuel. Um, It starts with the story of Samuel, but then it also tells of the story of David and how Saul was king and how David, as a shepherd boy, um, was a man after God's own heart and um, God chose him to be the next king. But it was a long path to that. He, of course, we all know the story of David and Goliath. And then after that um, battle and that victory, He spent years running from Saul, who was trying to kill him because he was afraid that David was going to be king instead of him. And so finally, at the end of 1 Samuel, um, Saul and his um, sons are killed in battle. And at the beginning of the book called 2 Samuel, David is mourning um, the death of Saul, which you would think that at that point he would be happy and would just be named king. But um, he actually knew that Saul had been um, anointed by God, and he was sad. And um, then instead of just being made king, there was civil war between Saul's sons and them wanting to be king and David and his followers. <clears throat> and so it's not until chapter 5 that David actually becomes king. And once he did, does, there's several stories about moving the Ark of the Covenant um, and um, several battles where he defeated the Philistines, and then he defeated um, Amon and Aram and had some great victories um, in war. And so he was settling down in Jerusalem uh, as king, and that is where um, our story for today starts. So we are looking in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, and it says, Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Reba. 
but David stayed at Jerusalem. <clears throat> so this is interesting because usually David was, you know, out leading the battles and at war and um, out doing the battle himself. But this time he stayed back and sent them in his place. So in verse two, it says, when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So he's not supposed to be in Jerusalem. He's supposed to be at war and he's bored um, and he can't sleep. So he's out walking around and he sees a woman on the roof. Now, at first we may think, well, that's weird. What's she doing bathing on the roof? But that was actually um, fairly common. <clears throat> um, it would be strange for someone on a higher roof to be able to look down and see that. And um, there's also verses in Leviticus that talk about the women needing to cleanse themselves um, at certain times in their life. So in verse 3, it says, David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So that should have been enough for David to say, Okay, well, probably not um, for me, but um, instead... In verse 4, he sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. So he inquired. They said that she was someone's wife. He sent messengers and took her, <clears throat> basically um, kidnapped her, and committed adultery. So in verse 5, the woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Um, and in verse 6, David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. Um, so Joab is, Joab is his commander of his army. So right away, as soon as she says she's pregnant, David begins to plot on how he's going to cover this up. So um, not only was it bad enough that he um, did what he did, and then uh, she went home, but now <clears throat> he realizes um that he's going to get caught, and so he begins this plot, and um, it's quite an elaborate one, as we will see. So he sends to the commander of the army and says, hey, send Uriah home. In verse 7, when Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people in the state of the war. So he sends this guy back, and he's like, hey, how's it going out there? You know, how many people? How's what's happening? And David said to Uriah in verse 8, go down to your own house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out from the king's house and a present from the king was sent out after him. So he left David's presence and David sent a present. Um, so he, he's trying, he's trying um, really hard here to get Uriah to go back to the house and of course sleep with his wife so that he will not know. Um, that she is pregnant with David's child. So in verse nine, it says, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So in verse 10, when they told David saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. 
Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. So he's very honorable, and he's not going to go stay at his house while the rest of his company of men are camping out in the field. So David says to Uriah, stay here today also, and tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but did not go down to his house. So David's trying really hard here. He's like, okay, that didn't work. Let's get him drunk, and then surely he will go on home, and this will be taken care of. But he didn't. He didn't go back to his house. So in verse 14, it came about in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab, the commander again, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He sent a note back with Joab to Joab in Uriah's hands. And he had written in the letter saying, Place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. So basically... Uriah had to carry back his um, notice of, of that he's going to die, that he's going to be murdered, and he has to carry it back to Joab. So in verse 16, it says, So it was, as Joab kept watch on the city, that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. So... David's plan now has come to fruition, but oh my goodness. I mean, he just plotted. The first several things didn't work. It just got worse and worse. So Joab sent in verse 18 and reported to David all the events of the war. And he charged the messenger saying, when you finish telling all the events of the war to the king, and if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at the Bez? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger departed and came and reported to David all that Joab had sent him to tell. So Joab's basically saying, um, this is how I did it. And when David gets mad and says, why did you let people die by coming close to the city? He's telling him how he did it. And it's interesting because in verse 21, where he mentions, mentions Abimelech, um, that story is um, in a previous chapter in uh, Judges where uh, one of the kings um, was at war and um, had overthrown several cities. And he got close to a tower in one and a woman threw a millstone out of the window and killed him. So he, he repeated that story, which is interesting to me because I always like it when books in the Bible refer to story other stories in the Bible, and you can go um, look that up. So they reference, they know these stories, they reference them, they tell them to their children, and um, they know the people's names in, in history and what happened. So um, the messenger departed, verse 22, and reported to David all that Joab had sent him to tell. In 23, the messenger said to David, the men prevailed against us and came out against us in the field, but we pressed them as far as the entrance of the gate. Moreover, the archers shot at your servants from the wall, so some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. Then David said to the messenger, 
Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it, and so encourage him. So David's basically saying, Go back and tell him that, you know, people die in battle and it's okay, but go on and fight and overthrow the city. So verse 26 says, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife, and she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. So he had taken her to start with, committed adultery. She became pregnant, and he plotted um, for many verses against her husband to figure out how to get out of it first, and then when he couldn't, um, to have him killed. So now we're in chapter 12, and the Lord sends Nathan the prophet to David, and he came to him and said, um, he's speaking in a parable here in verse 1, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die, and he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Verse 7 says, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your care. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you've taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household, I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. And notice David's response in 13, because the whole time this is being said, it's dawning on him what he has done. And so in verse 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin and you shall not die. So David repented um, very quickly. Like as soon as Nathan finished talking in verse 12, David immediately said, and he didn't, notice he didn't say, I've sinned against Uriah or I've sinned against Bathsheba. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Um, and at this point um, in the story is actually where Psalm 51 comes in. Um, if you turn to look at Psalm 51, it says, a contrite sinner's prayer for pardon a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And this is the psalm that in verse 10 says, um, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit, and I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. And he says in several other places through there, um, deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Um, so this is his um, psalm of repentance, um, where he's crying out to God to please blot out his transgression. So he wrote that right at this verse in um, 2 Samuel. So if we come back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, um, after Nathan tells him that the Lord has taken away his sin and he shall not die, he also says, however... Because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. And Nathan went to his house. So 14, uh, verse 14 is very interesting because there are consequences to sin. And even when God forgives us for our sins, a lot of times there's consequences that we have to deal with um, as a result of that. Um, and in this case, because David was king um, and there was a lot of spiritual implication in his life and what he'd done, um, there was a severe consequence for this. And and God said, um, you've given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. So he had, um, if he was allowed, if this was allowed to go just completely without consequence, then they would say, you know, how, how can he get away with it when other people can't? So God held him accountable for this. And then in verse... 15, um, it says that the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David, and he was very sick. David therefore inquired of God for the child, and he fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. And it happened on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead, since he might do himself harm? But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. So David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he came into the house of the Lord and worshipped then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows that the Lord may be gracious to me and that the child may live? But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. So this is very interesting because David wisely fasted and asked the Lord to spare the child's life, even though, you know, that was a result of, of his sin. Um, and in fact, in some places it says that that child was a, was a type of, of sin and that Jesus could not come through that line because that was not a um, holy um, union. So he would have been born out of sin. So that... Um, that child died. And in verse 23, it's interesting because he says, I can't bring him back again. I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And you can tell from Psalms that David had a very um, good knowledge of God and um, of what happens when you die. And in many verses, he talks about um, being in the house of the Lord and serving in the courts of the Lord. So he 
he mentions here that he will see him again um, when he dies. So I, I just think that's interesting that he said that in that verse. Um, and then in verse 24, David comforted his wife Bathsheba, Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she gave birth to a son, and he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. So Solomon gets a couple of names here. The name Solomon um, actually means peace, and um, the Lord named him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. So uh, Bathsheba's comforted. She now has a, um, another son. And um, his name means uh, peace uh, or beloved of the Lord. In verses 26 through 29, and this is actually before uh, Solomon was born, it says, Joab fought against Rabbah of the sons of Ammon and captured the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and I have even captured the city of waters. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and camp against the city and capture it, lest I capture the city myself and it be named after me. So David gathered all the people and went to Rabbah and fought against it and captured it. Um, and it talks about him taking the crown of their king and, and getting um, recognition for that. So Joab here is pretty much saying, hey, I came and did this. You stayed at home. I'm going to take glory and take the recognition for capturing the city if you don't come here and do, um, you know, what you should, probably should have been doing to start with. So he does go and do that, and Joab um, wisely lets him get, get the credit for that. So um, there's a couple of things here. First, I wanted to say we've got one more little section to read about um, to finish Bathsheba's story, but... I just want to say a lot of times I've heard a lot of uh, people talk about Bathsheba and say she shouldn't have been bathing on the roof. She was as much to blame, etc. But first of all, I think that she was innocent. I think that she was bathing. Um, she wasn't aware that she was being watched. He wasn't even supposed to be there. And Leviticus, especially in chapter 15, has a lot of rules about cleansing women, cleansing themselves and how often they're supposed to and um, a lot of details for that. Secondly, could she refuse the king? He literally sent people to her to bring her to him. And who knows what she thought when they came, but um, I, it may have been difficult to, to completely refuse him at that point. And then also in Nathan's story, when he came and told the parable of the man with the lamb, he, he says, um, you know, he compares her to a um, innocent lamb um, that this man has raised. So he doesn't put anything, any of the burden on her as well. He pretty much says, uh, David, you're the man. It's on you. So just thinking about her and also, you know, women today and, and things that happen to them, um, but in comparing, in comparing to her, what did she think when the king sent for her? What did he think she was sending? He was sending, um, calling for her for, and what did she think later when she found out she was pregnant? Um, she sent word to him, so she must have thought that he would do something. Um, and what, you know, what kind of emotions did she have at that point? Did she know that David brought her husband home? Did she know he was in the city? I kind of assume that she did, and yet he didn't come to her. And then did she know that he had a part in, in his death? Um, just timing-wise, did she think about it? Did, did he, I doubt that he ever told her, but, 
you know, did she, did she put things together? So thinking about what her thoughts and emotions and feelings may have been through that time. Um, we don't hear the story from her perspective, but um, that's a lot to happen to her. And, you know, I just think about um, women today um, and a lot of women have been through, whether it be abusive situations from people that they trusted or um, in, gotten in situations where um, they have had things happen to them um, similar to this. Um, finding out that you're pregnant through um, some means that that is not, um, you know, in a family situation. So many women have gone through this. So here's Bathsheba going through just a really emotional and tough time in her life. She's um, called in by the king. She finds out she's pregnant, and then she finds out her husband's dead. So um, you know, it's a made-for-TV kind of story because so much happens in that chapter um, or two. Um, the detailed account of David's cover-up and how he plotted to cover up that, that first sin. And yet, in Acts 13.22, David is recorded as being a man after God's own heart. So that just led the question, led me to the question of what makes us acceptable to God? Is it that we're sinless? Because we're not. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or is it that we are repentant and forgiven? And notice again in that verse when he realized um, that God knew he had sinned, that he was very quick to repent. And I think that uh, part of what God loved about him in his heart was how quick he was to repent. Um, and then, you know, the consequence of that, how did Bathsheba feel when her son was sick um, and going through that stage? And I'm sure that she was heartbroken over losing a child. And yet in verse 24, um, she, she let David um, comfort her and then had Solomon. Um, and the name, I love that they named him Solomon, um, meaning peace. Um, she has one more part to her story in 1 Kings um, one, so time goes by, David has gotten very old, and in 1 Kings 1, it says that David was old, advanced in age, and they covered him with clothes but could not keep him warm. So his servant said, let there be a young virgin, and let her attend the king and become his nurse, and let her lie in your bosom that my lord the king may keep warm. So they first searched for a beautiful girl throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful. She became the king's nurse and served him, but the king did not cohabit with her. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself and said, I will be king. And he prepared, prepared chariots and horsemen with 50 men to, to run before him. So um, he has decided that he's going to be king because his dad's old. So he, you know, gets all these people together and starts to, um, um, I almost want to say it's like a political race where he's going to name himself king. Um, in verse 10, it says, He did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the mighty men, and Solomon his brother. So he, he invited everybody else but them. Then Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and said, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has um, become king, and David our Lord does not know it? So now come, please let me give you counsel and save your life and the life of your son Solomon. So basically what he means there is because they were excluded, that if 
um, Adonijah became king, then he would probably kill them because they were opposing. They were. It happened a lot in the Old Testament where um, the person rising to king would kill their brother so that they couldn't take the throne. So Nathan says, go at once to King David and say to him, have you not, my lord, O king, sworn to your maidservant, saying, surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king? Behold, while you're still there speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went into the king in the bedroom. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was ministering to the king. Bathsheba bowed and prostrated herself before the king, and the king said, What do you wish? And she said to him, My lord, you swore to your maidservant by the Lord your God, saying, Surely your son Solomon shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now behold, Adonijah is king, and now, my lord the king, you do not know it. And he has sacrificed oxygen, not oxygen, he has sacrificed oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance and invited all the sons of the king and Abathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army, but he has not invited Solomon your servant. And as for you now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will come about, as soon as my lord the king sleeps with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be considered offenders. Behold, while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in. And they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. He came in before the king and prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground and said, My lord the king, have you said Adonijah shall be king after me and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and sacrificed oxen, oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and commanders of the army and Abathar the priest, and behold, they are eating and drinking before him and saying, Long live King Adonijah. But me, even me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benani the son of Jehodiah, and your servant Solomon have not been invited. Has this thing been done by my lord the king? And you have not shown to your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. And she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king vowed and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all distress, surely I vow to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Your son Solomon shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in this place, in my place. I will indeed do so this day. Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground, prostrated herself before the king, and said, May my lord, King David, live forever. And King David said, Call to me, Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Jehodiah, and they came into the king's presence, and he said, Take the servants of, my, of your lord, have my son Solomon ride on my own mule, bring him down to Jehan, let the, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there as king over Israel, blow the trumpet, and say, Long live King Solomon. And you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and be king in my place. For, have I've, for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. And Benaniah, the son of Jehodiah, answered the king and said, Amen. Thus may the Lord, the God of my lord the king, say, As the Lord has been with my lord the king, so may he be with Solomon, and may his throne greater than the throne of my lord king David. So Solomon is anointed king. So basically that part of the story is to say that as Sheba went in um, and... Um, stood up for Solomon to be king. Apparently, King David had just gotten old. He didn't know what was happening and that um, someone else was claiming to be king. He never had 
told the people what his wishes were for the next part, even though he had told Bathsheba. So she said, hey, I need, you know, we need this to happen or we will probably be killed. And he did that. So um, in the first part, she was a victim, but she ended up being David's wife. And here at this part, after that whole ordeal and raising Solomon in the palace and then going in to fight for her son to be king, as David had promised her. So interestingly enough, um, the next time she's mentioned, she has one more short story about her, but I'm going to kind of skip over that and go to Matthew 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, as we've read about some of the other ladies, um, is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it starts with Abraham in verse 2 and goes through all the way. It lists all of the um, sons of the fathers and who begat who. And this is in the lineage of Jesus. And it's, of course, mostly men, but there are four women mentioned here. And we've already told the stories of Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth who are mentioned um, in these verses. But in verse 6, it says, And to Jesse was born David the king, and to David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And to Solomon was born Rehoboam. So I just think this is amazing, first of all, that um, Bathsheba is one of the four women that are mentioned in the lineage of Jesus, um, even though she had been basically taken from her home and, um, you know, in an act of adultery had had a child. And yet Solomon was the one that came after him and that the Lord used to uh, carry on the lineage of Jesus. Um, and how neat of God to mention that um, in this lineage of Jesus, that she, her name would be uh, mentioned and carried on even in the New Testament from that. So um, that is the end of the story of Bathsheba. And at the end of it, we just like to talk about a couple of things. So things that we can praise God for. Um, you know what? Just that he sees us. He knows our stories. He knows what we've been through. He knows um, the things that are in our past. And he, and he still loves us. So we Praise him for that. And then thanking him that he has the same standard for everyone. Um, it doesn't matter if you're king. It doesn't matter if you're um, someone who has much or little. That um, he has the same standard and that we're, we're all sinners, but he forgives those sins. Um, and then our confession, you know what? That we do sin. And yet in 1 John 1, 9, it says he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So... Um, finally, we can ask God to just restore us and to comfort us. So that word comfort and to have him um, reassure us that um, when we ask for forgiveness, that he does forgive us and he sees us without that sin as if it never happened. So just an encouragement to um, all of you who have um, things in your life that you maybe have said well, the Lord can't possibly love me. He can't forgive me for these things that I've done in my life. He absolutely can. And I love that the Bible is full of these stories of people who are not perfect. They're um, sinners, as we all are. And yet God not only loved them, um, forgave them, called them people after his own heart, um, recorded them in history as being part of his family, um, but he just... Um, he, he chooses to use us um, in his story, and he can do that with you as well. He can use you um, to 
encourage others to comfort others and to further his kingdom. So thank you for listening to this podcast and um, there will be more to follow. Thank you.